Okay, so if I just hit this button here, I reckon episode two will begin and Gordon Dundas will appear. I, I, I don't know if this is going to work. Episode two! Hello! Oh, he is! <laughs> he is on the other end of the line. That's amazing. That is amazing. Everybody should have a button like this, Gordon. You know, you know I've said it in one of the interviews I've conducted, you know, sometimes technology is with you, sometimes it's against you. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. How have you been this week? Um, yeah, I've been good actually. Yeah, no, uh, life is life is good. We're you know it's a it's still an odd scenario that we're all we're all living in, but uh, we we've got a lot going on um, at the moment, and we're coming into. I think it's still going to be a really busy time of the year, the last three months of the year, really. So, you know, we would normally be Gordon traveling around yeah. the world at this point. Um, we know that September, October, November, and then probably into the second week of December is pretty busy at this point. But um, not this year. Pretty much everything's been been sort of postponed, unfortunately. Is so there any whiskey festivals happening anywhere? I don't really think so. I mean, I think there's still ones that are technically on, but I don't think they'll actually, in the end, uh, actually come through and happen. Uh, I mean, I think it's just... Uh, it's really, really difficult, because if you go to a whiskey show... Um, it's not about social distancing, and what is, but I mean, it's not about wearing masks. It's such a convivial thing, uh, and it's such a meeting up with your friends, sharing experiences, catching up, trying new whiskies, going to classes, all these things, and 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 it, it it it's a it's a it's a social event more than more than more than anything actually. So I think it's uh you know it just wouldn't particularly work very well. I think if you've socially distanced and people have got masks on and personally i don't know what you think you've been to many as well yeah i have actually and the whiskey unscripted season two episode two i, I thought we'd have a a look at tourism whiskey tourism whiskey mm -hmm. travel uh mm -hmm. just as a little theme gordon just try it out mm -hmm. and yeah. um that is a very good theme to, to hit there because you mm -hmm. do and so do i travel around i'm more europe you're more the world's uh, seeing places and one thing that i have absolutely loved is you jump on a strange plane, strange train, strange bus, get to a strange hotel, then you walk into the hall where the whiskey's, and suddenly you're among friends drinking whiskey, and it's like you've just been, you're just down the road. It's like your family, isn't it? It's like going I mean, back it's a to cliche, your family. Yeah. yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Um, and yeah, we hope we get back to that as soon as possible. And whiskey tourism is a great thing to talk about at the moment because, you know, I think it's got to a point that whiskey tourism is so important to Scotland, but far less other countries, that uh, it's worth that we, we've got some great people on to talk about it. Before we go any further, Gordon, yes, what are you drinking today? That's a, a fantastic uh, question. And we don't do a lot of research for the show, but I did. And I, you mentioned what? this whiskey. Sorry, sorry. Whoa, 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 whoa. Roll that back a bit. Sorry. Did you just say you'd done some preparation? I for this. did a couple of mouse clicks Yeah, about five minutes oh ago to work out I thought Gordon has mentioned this whiskey in the last series so I oh. clicked a couple of buttons and I think you mentioned this whiskey on episode 10 with Katie Murray, Muggeridge the oh. Rosebank and Glengoyne brand manager you right. were doing a quiz and, you, ah, right. we, and it was about I, a Lowland whiskey. whiskey do you remember? Uh. Uh, yeah, Lowland Whiskey. Um, I mean, was none it of us could get it. What? what? I'm just trying to think. Was it an Ockentoshin? No. No. Lo it was a Lowland Whiskey. And we couldn't get it. So I, I've, you know, I, I came oh, across on, my desk. I thought, I'll, I'll have that. And I'll wait until I'm on with Gordon. And it's a Bladnoch. 
Oh, a bladnock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember? No, I, you did yeah, I... yeah, I did mention that. Yeah, yeah. Down near Dumfries area. Yes, uh, yeah, and I lovely, think... Lovely distillery. Now it's looking owned by an Australian notes, gentleman. Sorry. Sorry. Well, just my notes there, it said Nick Savage from Macallan has come down to oversee the right. production right, okay, of yeah, Bladnock. Yeah, yeah. So well, I've that's... got my hand here, 46.7% ABV, the Bladnock 10-year-old. I'm holding it up and quite clearly it's bourbon barrels. It's a lovely, sort of lighter colour um, whiskey. The tasty notes talk of Parma violets and apples, and I wouldn't go mm-hmm. far away from the apples. It's a lovely floral, light, very sippable, very nice. lovely ten-year-old uh, whiskey. Nice. Uh, I, I haven't tried. I haven't tried Bladnock for. I mean, I went down there about probably about ten years ago when it was owned by a gentleman called Raymond Armstrong, and. Uh, um, but it's now owned by an Australian gentleman. They've repackaged it. They've invested heavily in it, and yeah. uh, it's great. No, I haven't tasted it though. What's it like? It's not, again, that little extra strength there, forty-six point seven percent. Um, I don't have it on the the bottle. It's a little uh, miniature. That could be an unchilled filtered one, Gordon. But yeah, Probably it is uh, be, yeah. fresh. I would say, even in the palate, very clean. Um, but a lovely wee bit of um, that oak. Nice little bit at the back of my tongue there. Yeah, fruity. Yeah, it's a very lovely drink. The Bladnock 10. I'll be adding a wee bit of water to that to see how that goes. Nice. What have you got? Well, um, and I, I did a tasting last night with um, Whiskey Base in Holland, and I've got a little bit of a sample left from that that I thought this is too good not to, not to drink on uh, Whiskey Unscripted. Uh, um, so just paint the picture. Who's, you know, Whiskey Base for... People that don't yeah, whiskey. Know. Ba- it's a community basically based in Holland. Who, 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 you know, they they have fans around the world. So they, you can buy whiskey from them. You can, you can do tastings with them. There's a store in Rotterdam, and we did a tasting on their YouTube channel last night on Glengoyne and uh, and uh, Tamdu. And I, I, so, so I had a Glengoyne in a bourbon cask, which is pretty rare. That didn't last long, so that one's gone. Um, <laughs> we we did the cast strength and the. Uh, 21 year old as well so Whoa. just to really show three dimensions of Glengoyne then we did um, Tamdu 15 and then we sort of deconstructed that by looking at an American and a European oak sherry cask so I've got a little bit of the American oak sherry cask sample that we used which is wait till I tell you this this is a um, it's an American oak uh, sherry hogshead 65.8% alcohol yeah strong but I didn't need to I mean I'm not I'm drinking that without any water and uh it really doesn't taste of 65.8. Beautiful whiskey, but really different to a European oak hogshead. So, Jordan, cast, and that's why we wanted to talk about it. They're putting it in. What what would be the filling strength then? Because well, a lot of filling be, strength is 63%, but you're and, drinking and something at 65. Absolutely. And at Tamdu, we now do 63.5, as do most proprietary distilleries. Um, but these were filled, obviously, at a higher strength, so probably close to off the still strength, which would be 69, 70, something like that. And um, they have obviously been really, really good casks because there's not a lot of uh, sort of um, angel share particularly or, or strength leaked out of those potentially, but we well, can tell by the strength. But um, uh, And that would have been done really for mainly the reason to actually save on warehouse space. If you're filling it close to 70 rather than 63.5, you're actually filling 10% less casks or yeah. or if you know what I mean. And that's one of the reasons it was done. Um, is there any danger, amazing though, whiskey. I have read, is there any danger if it's too 
high alcohol, it can um, not have the maturation effect, or it can burn the wood. Yeah, look, I, I think it depends on the on the spirit and a whole range of different things. Yeah. But I mean, I don't think necessarily having whiskey at sixty five point eight, apart from trying to describe a, a difference which we did during this tasting, is is you know most cast strength whiskies are you know are normally under sixty, um, and it's very rare to see whiskies at this high strength. But for what we were trying to do last night, um, it, it made a lot of sense. And actually, in the end, what I then did was just. I poured a little bit of the two casks together, the European oak and the American oak, and wow, what a combination! Because you've got two really different styles of sherry casks. So that's what we were trying to do. I'm drinking the Europe, the American oak, uh, which is just fabulous, absolutely fabulous. So, so that um, would I'm, be very similar to Sandy McIntyre's uh, manager's choice. Would that be right? Yeah, no, American cask yeah. last year. Yeah, an American oak, probably a little bit, a little bit higher strength than his. But I know Sandy's a big fan of American oak yeah. Tamdu. Uh, whereas Ian Whitecross, his uh, his uh, distillery assistant manager, is a European. The, the cask this year is a European oak, and if you have them side by side, the colour is different, the taste is really different. So that's what I'm drinking. It's fabulous. Sixty-five point eight percent. Bang. Hello. Morning. Yes, I thought here's me at 46.7, but that yeah, will no. be fine for the time that yeah. we're recording this. Uh, Gordon, you are tasked um, most days to try and see if there's any whiskey news that has happened. And well, before you even talk about news out there in the world, could we start with ourselves? Because we have got a new email <laughs> and we, we have, have got a YouTube channel. That's news for me. <laughs> yeah, that is news. You can get in touch with us. We might even start like doing competitions and things. You never oh, know. Um, I mean, I, you know, I'll 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 make sure that we uh, we speak to the brand teams and see if we can get whiskies um, sent out to people if they if they prove that they've been listening yeah. and and manage to to waste thirty minutes of their lives <laughs> listening to us. Um, and sadly, there's no shipping to certain countries, but we can always keep it for you. Um, no, no, when we you come, we'll, we'll drink it with you. It will keep it at room temperature in the sauna, and um, it'll be here for you. Um, so that's fine. Um, so yeah, we do. We, we, we're now on Instagram. We're now on YouTube, and we'll be doing videos and things when we start traveling, which will supplement what we're doing here. And we have an email address, which is whiskeyunscripted@ianmcleod.com. Um, so you can get in touch with us on Instagram. You can get in touch with us on email. So if you get anything that you're desperate to find out, um, we can always look it up and tell you. Yeah. Um, or, or if you want to know more about the whiskey inside the whiskey industry, God, I really want to know about something like, oh, I really want to know about the bottling. How about the bottling? We can probably speak to somebody from our bottling halls. There's a lot that we could talk about. So, yeah, oh, get in touch. Good. That would be good. It'd be good to sort of get people's um, opinion on whiskey. And, the, yeah. and, the, and one of the questions I'd be asking is about whiskey tourism, but we'll keep that just up our sleeves. Gordon, have you any news out there I do from the wider world? News. I do have some news. Ah. Um, quite, a few, quite a few things been going on. Um, I think one of the things that was great to see was that a very good friend of mine, someone I've not seen for a wee while, I think I last saw him was in San Francisco last year, possibly. Mickey Heads, who's a bit of a legend in the... Isla Distilling Community um, and the manager of Ardbeg um, is going to retire. So Colin Gordon, who I believe is uh, Lagavulin Distillery Manager, is going to take over from the legend that is Mickey Heads, who's retiring. So um, he's going to retire in October. I'm probably not going to see him. So Mickey, we want to just say have a. it's been a pleasure to have travelled and drunk whiskey with you at times. And uh, we wish you a happy retirement, sir. Really? So that's uh, uh, the other thing that I noticed and picked up on was um, 
Now, it's a story that, I've, I, I, if I'm honest, I, I clicked on it this morning and I thought this is worth talking about. I'd like to mention a man called Matthew Robson. Yep, Matthew, Matthew Robson. No, never heard of him. Um, what seems to have happened, um, that his father, uh, Pete, uh, had bought him a bottle of whiskey every year to celebrate his birthday. Um, nice. So since 1992, uh, his dad... Pete had bought a bottle of whiskey every year, um, and it was some Macallans. And I think he'd probably, in in, in all, spent about five thousand pounds on the whiskey. But he's they're thinking of selling it for around about forty thousand pounds. So, um, so you never touched them? The, <laughs> no, they're all. I mean, I, I, unbelievable. I mean, I would. I would there'd be none left. But no. uh, if it was me, but um, yeah, I mean, that's a great story. It just shows you that you know um, how how the uh, you know whiskey can be if you play that game can be a bit of an investment in a, in a world that's a little bit it's a little bit sort of uncertain at the moment I'm writing that um, down Gordon uh, for our future um, themed episodes because yeah. yeah. I think the heat has come off, off of it a little bit but for a while there was stories about people making fabulous returns you know yeah. m- more returning gold for example I was reading some headlines and yeah, um, yeah. selling it in the morning for X amount and or buying it in the morning for X amount selling it in the afternoon for even more um, but I think the heat isn't out of that. But that would be a good thing. We've got friends in auction houses. That'd it's, be quite a nice thing to get into. It's like all of these things, Gordon. It's 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 like all investments. You've got to buy at the right price. You've got to sell at the right. You've got to buy the right thing at the right price. So not all whiskies will be a great investment. Um, but the best thing about whiskey is that if it's not, you can just drink it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the point. Uh, you can't drink gold or. You can't drink a house, you know. At least with whiskey, you can drink it. So if it, you know, if it doesn't doesn't reach the heights that you were hoping, and and it, fine, just drink it and enjoy it. Yeah, so and that's go. another thing for our email address, our you know contact is uh, be quite nice to hear. People do have that special bottle in their house that they're keeping. Mm. You know, there's, there's quite a lot of people have that, and I've spoke to them. So if you have a special bottle that you're maybe keeping for maybe that uh, that big payday, <laughs> it'd be nice to hear what you're what you're keeping. Absolutely, yeah, no, definitely, definitely, absolutely now, correct. Now, Gordon, I was going to point to our, our, our main interview of the show was from Susan Morrison, and it's about whiskey Aye. tourism. I just was quite keen to see, you know, where we are at the moment, how it's going to go forward. But you know, what's how 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 did we get to where we were? Are you a man that likes to go around um, and do a bit of the the tourism? Cause I, I remember in last season you asked Sandy McIntyre, does he ever go undercover? Mm-hmm. Now, can I yeah. ask you that question, Gordon? Do you ever strap on the man bag or the bum bag, on with a pair of shorts, <laughs> look like a tourist, and go into distillery? <laughs> um, I've been to a few, but I've generally been. I don't particularly go. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. Wouldn't call myself a not that well known in whiskey. But I think the point is that I would go in, and it's nice to go and just see how other brands do it. And I think that's re- really strong at Glengoyne. The guys at Glengoyne are very conscious of going to see. How other brands do it. So I remember them going up to to McAllen and mm-hmm. and one or two other things. And I think that's really really important because, you know, it, it, we, the best thing about the whiskey industry is there's no real competition. It's all about working together, promoting whiskey. That's why it is so successful. From tourism to, you know, to uh, to the actual tastings and things like that. So, you know, obviously it's been a tough time and a lot of distilleries are still closed or, or just opening up and things like that, but it's it's been a really tough year. So we hope that it bounces back next year. But um, I think the point is that we have, um, 
you know, we have we have we have a great resource at Glengoyne, which can you know for a small distillery has what how many ninety thousand visitors, something like that. Yeah, normally last year I think Karen Cornfield yeah. will be hearing from later on. She's the operations director at uh, Ian McLeod and is mm. tasked with looking after Glengoyne. I think it was yeah. seventy to seventy five thousand last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and and that's the, that's the point is we need to. Uh, you know that's a, that, that that generates a nice bit of income. So Karen, I'm sure we'll talk about that. But yeah, I mean, I think there's some great distillery tours. I mean, I love going to Isla. Isla's. I mean, that's you know, Isla is a wonderful. If you've never been to Isla, strongly recommend going to Isla. Of course, always come to Glengoyne as well. But then, of course, you know that your Space Side as well. The Space Side Whiskey Festival, great time to go and visit Space Side. Oh, a little I, bit I, less I, smoky than Isla, oh, but uh, I know it's fantastic. Yeah, no, we've, I mean, we've it's had great. a couple of good nights in the Space Side Festival doing the oh, Tamdu yeah. opens for. It's like Brigadoon, the movie that uh, the village appears once in a hundred years. Tamdu mm. appears once every two days, every, yeah. every year at the Speyside Festival, and what yeah, a right. what a time we have up there! If you get a yeah. ticket, that really is. I would say out of most things happening up there, that's really is a golden ticket. No, absolutely, absolutely. But I think it. Tell you what, I haven't seen Susan for a while, so I'm li- looking forward right. to listening to Susan from the Scotch Whiskey Experience talk to us about. Um, whiskey tourism, uh, and I guess one or two of the challenges that are going on at the moment. I guess. She does indeed. Uh, Gordon, you couldn't be there at the interview, but just what you've said there, could you, while we're listening to this, um, our new feature, Listillery, so you just take the D off the distillery and put an L there, Listillery, could you put together a little list of how to put on the ultimate whiskey weekend road trip? Yes. You know, where to go, you've got two days, anywhere in Scotland, money's no object, so the Dundas Listillery about whiskey road trips. So, listen, that'd be great if you could do that. And here's Susan Morrison of the Scottish Whiskey Experience, and she's the chair of ASVA, um, which you'll hear about as well. So, take What's it away. ASVA? The Association for Scottish Visitor Attractions. Every visitor attraction in the land, part of this organisation, and she's in charge of it. So, uh, a very important lady who's got her pulse on tourism and, for my purposes, whisky tourism. Here's here's what happens. Susan, thanks for for joining us. And really, the theme of today's podcast is about tourism, and I just wanted to m- maybe talk about what it was like before. And I was going over some of the old archival stuff from the Glengoyne archives. And I think, think about the late 60s, people tar- started turning up at distilleries. And mm-hmm. with Tam Du, I think we've got the visitor centre opening at the railway, 76. But it must have been quite basic back in the day. Yeah, I think, I mean, we didn't open until 88. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think when we opened, it really, there were very few distilleries that... Um, that welcomed visitors. There were ones that would show you around if you pitched up at the door, but um, I think it was mainly Glenfiddich, um, who I think they I think they opened their visitor centre around '69, so they were at the tail end of the '60s. Um, but it was difficult to to get a whisky experience at that time. Um, much as there are great characters in the industry, and I'm sure some of the impromptu tours were hilarious, <laughs> but um, but yes, it didn't really kick off. It was really the late '80s before whiskey tourism even even started to kind of raise its head. Well, that's a great point, because we talked about the Glengoyne, it was people booking up to get taken around individually. But yet, you, you've been in it from the start, at the Scottish Whiskey Experience, so what was the late 80s like as an industry? I mean, I, I, I take it tourism would be golf, 
it be castles. But why did the you know pressure build for the whiskey experience to be started? Um, I think it was just um, the the then managing director Alistair McIntosh had been speaking. He was the MD of uh, William Muir's the bottling um, plant down in Leith, and obviously he he spoke to a lot of the chief execs in the industry. And I think at one point he'd actually said maybe we should have. Uh, a whisky experience of some kind in um, either Glasgow or Edinburgh because at the time only 20% of visitors went further north than Stirling so really if they were going to get to some of the few distilleries that did welcome visitors you know there was only 20% going that far so I think it came out of that and the industry very quickly got behind Alistair and said absolutely this is a good idea why didn't we think of it before and then fortuitously they came across this site right next to edinburgh castle the biggest paid for attraction in scotland so <laughs> uh, i think they thought well this this is the place to be and it's uh, absolutely amazing susan and if no one's been there you must make a and most people do that love whiskey make a beeline for the scottish whiskey experience so it starts in 88 and how was the the, the the birth and then the growth of the experience and from your asva hat on whiskey tourism in general did it start to grow straight away or was there was there problems no, I think it took it took a bit of time. I mean, certainly, I think in our first year we saw about seventy thousand visitors. We're now up at close to four hundred thousand. Clearly, not this year, Gordon, but <laughs> in in, in twenty nineteen and hopefully going forward around the the four hundred thousand mark. So, no, back in the day, it it was slow to get going. Um, but I think it was the right move to get something in, in either Glasgow or Edinburgh as the kind of gateways to Scotland at the time, particularly for the international visitors. So, I mean, today, what, what has been consistent is our mix of visitors. So from the start, it was pretty much 80% international and today it is still 80% international, with the exception of the last few months. <laughs> yes, absolutely. What, and I did say it was castles and golf courses. Was that what was out there? With your Asva hat on, was yeah, that pretty much with, gotten for? With my Asva hat on, pretty much. Although I think, to be fair, Scotch whisky has generally featured on a tick list, but just because you know people, it was so difficult to get out to a distillery. Um, I think people generally ticked off the whisky box by just visiting one of the the pubs. Uh, in the cities and speaking to the barman about whiskey, which I mean we discovered quite early on um, was probably not the thing to do in terms of getting correct information. I mean things have definitely changed and social media and everything has helped with whiskey knowledge but back in the day asking the barman uh, questions about whiskey was probably not the way to go. <laughs> it's amazing when people think that's just 1988. I mean, I was hardly born in, you know, in, in, in that year, but you, you were on a, another podcast and we've had them on here before, the Glen Cairn guys, and that lovely glass is only 20 years old. I mean, I we're not talking big history here. It's amazing that the Swisky tourism, the Glen Cairn, it's quite relatively recent. It is, absolutely. But I think we saw a big step change about 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago, and suddenly the numbers leapt and there was definitely more of an interest to maybe tour around and visit several distilleries rather than just tick off a box of I've been to one. Um, 
So I think that's the point. It, it kind of changed. So um, 2008, 2009, Yeah, roughly. 2008, 2009, I think that that was the big step change. Um, and what was that? Just that sort of appreciation? There was more books out there, more magazines out there, more media circulating the globe, talking about scotch would you say yeah i think i think that's absolutely helped i think the popularity of scotch whiskey generally grew so people were more conscious of it i think the malts were going you know there was more of an interest in the malts um, and the diversity of the malts and and that then drew people back to you know the the provenance of where where scotch whiskey from oh scotland where about in scotland um and then i think you know scotland has such stunning landscape and the distilleries are all sitting in that landscape that I think it ticked lots of boxes for lots of tourists coming to the country. Um, so, yeah, I think it's gradually grown, um, you know, through through all the information and it's much easier to get hold of information about whiskey now with all the digital stuff, but uh, the rise of the popularity of Scotch and then the fact that Scotland is just a brilliant country to visit um, has just all helped with moving visitors around the country to visit different distilleries. Oh, I know it's been great. And on that point, what were they coming for? And who was doing it well? Who was it? Do you know, they, I mean, I I meet with all the distillery visitor centres twice a year. And obviously your team are at that too. And the people are, people remain in the industry. So it's always, it's the same people that are around and obviously fresh blood comes in, but the same people and they're such characters and we're all, you know, in it to provide the best experience for visitors. And I think, I don't have a statistic on this, but I'm pretty sure that the biggest number of five-star attractions are, uh, within Scotland are within, they're all whiskey related. Um, so generally distilleries. So we have a, a, a very high number of five-star visitor experiences amongst our, our, our sector, within the attraction sector. I think you've hit your finger right on it there. It is about people, isn't it? And there's some great characters in the whisky industry and, and that's what people really want to come and... Yeah, it's absolutely, experience. and it's the stories. They love the stories behind the distilleries and, and they love the characters who make the whisky and the chance to meet the, um, these people. So, yeah, I think, I think it is absolutely all about the people. Is that where the future lies in stories? Uh, reading a little bit about uh, whisky tourism and where it can go, maybe started off very sort of descriptive and very process heavy, but there's another area really to move into. And I, I know some people are doing it already, but you've mentioned storytelling. Is that a big growth area? I, I, I think absolutely. We, we launched a, a product last year called um, Tasting Tales, and it's basically whiskey food matching, but each whiskey we go into stories about the characters um, and, and the distillery uh, behind that particular whiskey, and people just love it. They just love hearing about the little stories and the human touches. Um, and I think that's what brings whiskey to life for people. It's amazing. What's the numbers? You know, we should maybe cover this off at the beginning, uh, Susan, but I've got no script in front of me. But, you know, you're talking about people coming here and, and engaging with those lovely uh, tasting tales. But what are the approximate numbers of before? Well, across the whisky industry, we saw last year over 2 million visits to distilleries or whisky attractions like ourselves. Um, and that sits um, 
only at number two next to Edinburgh Castle being the biggest visited attraction in Scotland. So if you take the whisky attractions as one, we sit there as number two. Wow, it's, it's quite a, quite an amazing um, story of success of whisky getting brought out to the world because these people are going away back home and spreading the the gospel as well as the liquid wherever yeah. they come from and, and countries of the world are, are who's coming from where well um, consistently the us has always been one of our top visitors um along with uh, english so english and us make up about 17 18 percent each of our visitors they're closely followed by the french and then in the last five years the chinese have become number three um so I was saying earlier to a colleague, it, it, it's amazing. Our Scottish visitors were only 5%. But obviously in this uh, new COVID situation mm-hmm. with staycations, the one thing that has been lovely downstairs, and I've actually managed to do two tours. Again, I've gone back to guiding. Um, and it's just been lovely to have some Scots on tour because generally we do not see very many Scottish visitors through our doors, but it's been great to see them coming through. But actually, traditionally, it is the US. And then, as I say, over the last five years, the Chinese have really soared up to, to number three. Wow, that's amazing. And hopefully we'll get more Scots through the door. And um, certainly I did see a lot of, not a lot, but you put on a wonderful distillers fair between Christmas and New Year. And I did speak yes. to some guys from Boness last year, and I think maybe the fact there was lots of free whiskey and food sloshing around <laughs> seemed to stay for quite a lot. Of Those Scots found that fair. That's I know I, it appeals to the Scotsmen. I think the distillers fair. <laughs> Susan, before you go, just um, we have mentioned COVID. They mentioned twenty twenty. We can't go without uh, talking about what the impact has has been. Um, could you just outline that and maybe more where do you think we'll get back or when will we get back to what has gone before? Oh, if only I had a crystal ball. You know, I think that's the frustrating element. I think people have generally dealt with this <clears throat> extremely well. Um, I, I think it's the fact that it's just ongoing and there doesn't appear to be a finite date that is is is, is making people become a bit weary of it now. Um, but as, say, as I say, our, our hope in the industry is that we will see internationals back spring next year. Um, having said that, there are already some internationals around. Um, I mentioned I'd taken a couple of tours recently and I had a couple of Italians, had a couple of German lads who were going off um, to go down the distilleries. So there is a desire to get back to travel, but clearly, and until it's um, safe to do so, I don't think we're going to see the volumes back. But I would hope, all being well, that by spring next year, we start to get back to, to more normality within the, the tourism sector in Scotland. And has there been many casualties? Yeah, there there have been, and it has been a really, really hard, and my 30 years in, in tourism, there's never been anything as challenging as this, and we have had challenges. Um, and it has been really hard to hear some of the stories coming from some of the attractions where they literally don't know whether they're going to make it to the end of the next week. Um, so it's really hard when suddenly you're, the tap's turned off and there's absolutely no income coming through your door. Um, and obviously with the two metre ruling just now for attractions, it's still making it really difficult to break even 
um, never mind make a profit. So I think we're not through the woods yet. Um, we're, we've, we're still in a kind of survival mode. We've pretty much lost most of the summer season, which means we're going back into winter season and, and all attractions make their money in the high season. So it's a, it's a very challenging time. And I just, I, I really hope there is enough support out there to see everybody through this. Um, because it would be devastating to Scotland if it lost any of its um, uh, gems, whether they're whisky attractions or other attractions, it would be awful to lose that rich tapestry that offers visitors so much when they visit. Oh, I know, absolutely. And you say, we can only hope that we can try and get some of our own through these doors. And one of the great ways of doing that is going to the ASVA website, which has got all, virtually every tourist attraction in there. And it's a wonderful um, resource Yes, it's a great resource and, and it's a great way just now especially to find out maybe what the slightly different opening hours or d different um, approaches that attractions are taking to making a very safe visit for visitors. So it's a great website to visit if you want to check out um, who's open, when they're open and, and how to get booked. Great, great. I don't want to keep you, I know you're very, very busy with uh, reopening and all that, Susan. What we'd love to do, myself and Gordon Dundas, who passes on his apologies for not being here, we'd love to, you know, go from the tourism part just to, to have a lovely uh, chat with you in the Scottish Whiskey Experience one day. That would be great. We'd love to have you back here. You know, we're all about people, so it's been quite hard only seeing people on screens and not seeing people up close. And that's what's great about having opened the doors last week. It's great to see people coming in and having fun again. So we will welcome you at any point you would like to come through. Oh, that's exactly it. I thought the show would go roughly like myself and Gordon roll up to the bar and relieve you of some whiskies. I thought that might be the, <laughs> that might be the sort of idea or the thrust of that show. Well, it's, almost, it's always better to have a chat over a drum. And it's one of the must be the best views in Edinburgh, or the best bar with the best views in Edinburgh. You've got up there. I don't know if we absolutely. Know that. It's amazing. Aha, uh -huh. we've got two bars, Gordon. So we're not short of whiskey. <laughs> that's, that's okay. I thought we'd seen double the last. That's that's, that's, <laughs> that's solved that one. Susan Morrison, thank you so much for joining us on the Whiskey Unscripted, and we will speak again. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Gordon. Well, that was Susan Morrison. They are quite an important job she's got on her hands over the next few months, Gordon. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, it, 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 it'd be interesting to see how things move in the, in the tourism industry and, and, you know, how people move around the planet in the next few months. But, you know, I think things can only ultimately get better, let's hope. So that's great. One of, one of the facts that just stood out for me, and maybe it will change, she was saying that by their stats at the Scottish Whiskey Experience, um, up until COVID and the coronavirus, 5% were Scots going in the building 95% people from around the yep. world so hopefully maybe that will start to change and the percentages well, might um, improve from the Scottish side of things so that was yeah I think that's probably fair I mean I think you know if you look at if you think of it where they're located in Edinburgh as well um, right next to the castle there's a there's a it's a fantastic location and oh, a oh. great place to showcase whiskey and actually it's uh, the Scotch whiskey experience is actually sort of owned by the industry as it were so it's a it's a really interesting uh, place to to visit if you've never been Scottish English wherever you're from go and see it fantastic. yeah and another another point that you brought up last episode was snackage and <laughs> when we do at the distillers fair Susan mentioned <laughs> that in the interview their <laughs> food in there that they give people ourselves oh. is absolutely fantastic it really is, is it right I'll be doing tasty. that next year then <laughs> you know yep. this is I, I was going to mention this Gordon but I actually 
was on holiday. I had an official holiday on the 29th of December last year. And then I got a call saying, you know, would you go to, to do the distillers fair at the Scottish Whiskey Experience? And I thought, of course, of course I'll go. But the reason I said yes was because of the food. It's abs- what a lunch. Anyway, that's just, you know, um, that's just by the by. Mm, and we've got no, absolutely. Car- Karen Confield coming up later on in uh, Whiskey Unscripted who will talk about the actual feet in the ground at Glengoy and how it's physically happening. Uh, to a distillery so that's coming up later on but Gordon where are we going next well uh, can I just say um, I mean this doesn't happen at all I don't think it's really happened at all but I back by popular demand now I was actually speaking to somebody who I think listened to an episode um, and um, (laughs) he he was wondering what letter we were on in our A to Z and for me that's popular demand Um, so um, we we need to go back to that I think think everybody's desperate to work out where we're at and and we know we're on letter M Hit the music! So M M, this should be this. I'm hoping this will be quite easy. Well, I've got a few historical ones, but I am going to go for. I think we have to go for malt. You know, our industry in Scotland needs malted barley. Without that, it's not Scotch whiskey. So that lovely malt, the barley that you take in from the fields into what now is mostly an industrial uh, factory, and they do it for the industry. Um, we use Simpsons and they take in the, the green malt and malt it using and I've been there I've been to crisp maltings so malt without it we would not have Scotch whiskey whereas in other parts of the world Ireland there can be unmalted and malted barley in the mash bill or in America it can be bar, um, corn or rye but we need yeah. that lovely malted barley and I suppose Gordon that was what we had in this country people ask why why malt well there was not much yeah. else Growing here no, in no. the 12, 13, 1400s, that was a very hardy um, strain of vegetation. Whereas wheat down south in England would survive their climate, may not survive as much up here. We needed something hardy, and that barley, or B E R E as it was called, that strain, was um, what we used to make our um, beer, which then became whiskey, and that's now passed into the laws. Is that not? Roughly the case. Absolutely, and I think the, the thing is that actually malted barley, it has this wonderful um, ability to. Uh, it basically it has a thing called diastatic power, and that's what it's all about: enzymes. And that's why malted barley is actually used in the production of bourbon as well, and it's used in the production of grain whiskey because you need those enzymes to create basically the help create the, the, the fermentable sugars. That's what you need to do. So that's why every mash bill in America has uh, a percentage of malted barley. Generally it's about 70% corn, 15% rye uh, and 15% malted barley. The malted barley is really, really important and that's the point and that's why you need that diastatic power. Um, but if you don't have any um, malted barley, maybe you're making 100% corn whiskey, you need to add enzymes. Uh, to to create that that basically the the conversion into sugar and that's, and that's so that's why that's why malted barley is so good and you need that for the yeast so it can feed is that right so correct the, you need the sugar then for the yeast to to produce alcohol and carbon dioxide yep wow so, so M for malt Gordon what have you got mash bill as well yeah 
I've got a couple of brands I wanted to talk about. I think, you know, um, we've been talking a bit about this recently, is, is well, not, not on here, but just generally, is, is blend, uh, blended malt whiskey, which is malt whiskeys from around Scotland blended together, so blended malt. Um, pretty small category. I think it's going to be a category that's going to grow because I think people understand the point of mixing blends together when you look at the diversity, sorry, mixing malts together when you look at the diversity of single malts around Scotland, and I think it's an area that people will start to understand more. Yeah. Um, Monkey Shoulder is probably the biggest brand out there, but I think the key point about Monkey Shoulder, it is a brand. It doesn't particularly talk about the whiskies that goes into it, but it's a brewing brand, big brand, done a lot in the on-trade globally, um, and really has got people drinking, you know, they drink Monkey Shoulder. They don't, it's a bit like Jack Daniels. They drink Jack Daniels. They don't particularly know too much about it in terms of its cast, so they just drink it because they like it. And, and Monkey Shoulder's in that area as well. So it's a brand that's done very well. Probably the largest just blended malt, but it, plays a very different game to one or two other more more sort of provenance-driven blended malts. Well, so I tell you what, one. Gordon, I, I'm still yeah. I'm still thinking about it, and we are um, this program is brought to you by E. McLeod, and one yeah. of the whiskies I remember very vividly and fondly was the Six Isles yeah, that I no, tasted in last season on Whiskey Unscripted. That's Six Islands in Scotland, all their single malts put together. And you talk about yeah. Providence. My goodness, yeah. that was a... Yeah. What well, a drum that is. You could pretty much guess most of the distilleries that are in that whiskey. So, I mean, whereas many other blended malts are not like that. So that's a great example of a different style of blended malt. Mm-hmm. The other one I just wanted to bring up, I knew I brought this up before, but um, is Mortluck, uh, quite a famous sort of meteor-style whiskey, um, 2.81 distillation. I've mentioned this before. Go and explain that one, please. Di- there's, there's probably a complicated diagram on the internet <laughs> that you can look at and not understand. But uh, yeah, that's more like quite a, quite a quite a famous and, and sought after brand. Because I think in their um, label, Gordon, they, they make a big deal of the the, 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 the reflux going up. You know, well, literal reflux. The vapor carries over the line arm rapidly. If I'm not much mistaken on their label, and that's yep. and at Glengoyne, and even at Tamdu, we're trying to encourage the reflux. There, they're wanting to get the the vapor yep. over quickly to get that yep. characteristic. And that's the point. That's the point. Every distillery does what suits them, and you know we could we can we can talk about what we do at Glengoyne and Tamdu, and and other people can talk. You know, if you you know you, you distill in a way that suits you, um, we want to develop a, a different style by doing it the way we do it. So there's no right or wrong way. Uh, you can't say this is the way you would distill um, because a distillery that wants to create something different would, would do it in a different way. So. Absolutely. Yes. Any other M's? I'd like to go there. Some historical M's, if I may, Gordon. Historical M's. You know, I like my, my historical... I've got a little list, but um, I'll just run through them very quickly. Um, just mentioned about Glen Goyne, our second proprietor. There's a big story behind it. Not so much owner at Glen Goyne was McClelland. McClelland, oh. I should say. Uh, not, not with a D in the end. And he takes over from the, our founder, George Connell. So McClelland comes in in 1851 stroke 52 and his son takes over before the Lang brothers famously purchased the distillery in 76 another M is a gentleman called Patrick McGovern who's a molecular archaeologist I call him the Indiana Jones of booze from the University of um, it's not Minnesota it's Minneapolis I think it is and he has researched some of the ancient strains of barley and the ancient strains of drink taking early alcohol back to around about 8,000 years BC when humans started drinking and um, domesticating wheat and cereals to make alcohol around about 8,000 and he postulates 
that possibly, possibly distilling comes in about 3,500 years BC. So right. Patrick McGovern, quite a influential molecular archaeologist. And um, we've got M for merger, 1925, when the huge uh, Johnny Walker Empire merges with the Dewar and Buchanan Empire, and then the Hagues join together to create DCL, which will become Diageo. 1925, the biggest, sorry, the second biggest corporate merger pre-war of all time. Massive right. amounts of money there as well. And I suppose one last one, uh, if you can let me have this one, Masataka Takatsuru. M, I know it's his first name, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Pioneer of Japanese whiskey. Yes, so there you go. There's some historical M's. Yeah, no, absolutely. Very interesting, that one. He's not, I, I never met him, so I don't know if he was an interesting man. But, uh, yeah, married a Scottish lady, took all that knowledge back to Japan, worked initially with some Shinjo Tori, and then created Nika after Nika. that. So, yeah, great, great story. Great, great. Well, I think we satisfied the A to Z fans out there. I think we have, um, Gordon, satisfied the A to Zs. Now, we've got an interview coming up uh, shortly with Karen Cornfields. Yes. But yes. I did set a challenge uh, about the Listillery, about you tourism did. as a sort of theme of these episodes. Have you got um, the ultimate list? If you had to put together a weekend road trip. Yeah, well, I think... I think what so this is Listillery. Hang on just to get my, my typewriter sorted and get my list ready. So this is Gordon and Nassie's Listillery. How to stay weekend's whiskey road trip. Ah, we could have talked all night. And of course we did. So we're going to draw a line just now on episode two. Join us again for episode three of Whiskey Unscripted, brought to you by Ian McLeod Distillers. Thank you so much for listening, and please get in touch.